Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he speaks on Only Extra Will Be Enough. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each one of you. God bless you. Let's say a prayer together. Uh, Father, we just want to spend this time with you, so we pray that your Holy Spirit will come and teach us your word so that we can be doers of it. You'll be glorified, we'll be blessed, and hopefully that will help a bunch of other people as well. That's our desire and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my message is called, Only Extra Will Be Enough. If we're having company over for dinner at our house, my wife always likes to have a lot of extra food. So if I'm helping her by peeling potatoes, for instance, my mentality usually is to estimate how many people there are and think about how many potatoes would be enough. But Bonnie never wants me to do that. She always wants me to make extra because then she knows for sure there'll be enough. And so we always have leftover potatoes. <laughs> now, this reminds me of a parable Jesus told about 10 virgins who were uh, waiting for a bridegroom to come for a a marriage banquet, and uh, <clears throat> they were, you know, they had lamps with oil in them. That was their flashlight in those days. And uh, the bridegroom tarried, so it got dark, and they all got sleepy. And then finally, uh, at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So they jumped up, they trimmed their lamps, but five that assumed they would have enough because they their oil was full of their lamp was full of oil when they when they started waiting. Well, their lamps were going out, but the ones that had extra oil were just fine. So the five foolish virgins said, please give us some of your oil. And the wise ones said, then there might not be enough for both us and you. Go to the store and get your own. So uh, the foolish virgins left to buy oil. And while they were gone, the bridegroom arrived the ones who were ready, the five wise ones, went in to the feast, and then the doors were locked. So when the foolish came back, they couldn't get in, and, and Jesus said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. That's all in Matthew chapter 25. Well, my first point is that we need the take extra mindset. Now, Jesus is going to return as our heavenly bridegroom. The world is getting very dark you know, prior to his return. And it's very dangerous to try to serve God with a that-should-be-enough attitude. The foolish virgins had estimated what enough would be, but they were wrong. Now, the wise did not try to bring just enough oil for their lamps. The only way they knew to have enough was to bring extra. And their lamps kept burning, and they were ready to enter into the wedding feast because of this take-extra mindset. Well, I've heard many sermons over the years <clears throat> about this parable, and usually the focus is on the oil and what the oil represents. Now, if we make that the emphasis, I think we miss the point. I believe instead of wondering, what is the oil so I can take extra oil, we need to focus on the word extra instead. It's more important than the word oil in this parable. We should, for instance, we should want more than enough Bible verses in our heart, not just enough. We should want more than enough time with God in prayer, not just enough. 
we should be making the extra effort that champions make to win the prize. So my point is that the extra mindset applies in many areas. This mindset results in a way of living that produces more than enough faith, more than enough courage, more than enough direction from God, more than enough spiritual power. How many of you think that sounds pretty good? Now, we'll never have just enough, which is impossible to calculate. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly, John 10.10. Now, a more abundant life does not mean more abundant possessions because Jesus also said one's life does not consist in the abundant things he possesses, Luke 12.15. I believe that a more abundant life is lived when we have an abundance of love, abundance of faith, abundance of hope, abundance of courage. In other words, more than we actually need, an abundance. Now, going back to the potato illustrations, how many potatoes should we peel and boil for the number of people coming to dinner? You see that it would be impossible to know in advance what would be just barely enough. The only way to ensure that there was enough would be to peel, boil, and mash extra potatoes so that some would be left over. In this way, a host or hostess are never embarrassed. If we adopt this mentality and apply it spiritually to our lives, it's going to bless us and protect us and keep us and eternally reward us. My second point is that we need to follow extra close to Jesus. When I was a young teenager, you know, I lived on a ranch in western South Dakota, and, and the cows gave birth to their calves, you know, in, uh, in the springtime. But once in a while, there'd be a spring blizzard, and in this case, there was a, a bad blizzard. And uh, so my dad and I got on the, the tractor, and we rode out to where there was a haystack. Now, the cows, with the wind and the blizzard, were drifting up against a fence line. That's very dangerous because their little calves could get pushed through the fence easy enough. And then they'd be separated from their mothers. They could either die of exposure or the coyotes would get them. So to prevent the cows from all bunching up you know, against the fence line, my dad opened a, a fenced haystack, and, and our tractor was equipped with what was called a farm hand, so it looked like a big hand that could open up and then gouge its teeth down into the haystack and pull out a great big heavy bunch of hay. And then my dad would make the tractor drop that in a, in a line, little bunches at a time, make a big long line, and immediately the cows would gather around that hay instead of bunching up against the fence. So we got that done, and of course the cows were, you know, away from the fence. But then the storm became more intense, and the wind blew so hard it blew snow up under the tractor's heat shield, and the engine wetted out, and we could not restart the tractor engine. So there was nothing to do but uh, leave, the, leave the tractor in the field and walk back to the house, which was over a mile away. Now, suddenly, the storm turned into a total whiteout, and a whiteout is where you can't hardly see your hand at the end of your arm. Visibility is virtually zero. And so, my dad took my hand. I didn't have any idea which way to go. I was completely confused, but he positioned himself around that uh, 
the fence that went around the haystack. And from that, he knew that if he walked in a straight line far enough, he'd run into another fence line. So you know how teenagers are. They think they're pretty smart. They're pretty independent. But I just hung on to my dad's hand. I was happy that he acted like he knew what he was doing. <laughs> and he walked. We walked right straight. We did run into another fence. I wouldn't have known which way to turn. I was so confused in that storm. He knew to turn right. And uh, we followed that down. And eventually we got to, uh, we got back you know, to the house. And by the time we got right close to the house, the storm abated a little bit and, and we could see a little bit farther. And Well, you know, I was extremely grateful that I could hold on to my dad's hand. But it's just, if I had let go of his hand, I couldn't have seen him. I'd have been in real trouble alone in that storm. Well, that was a long time ago, back in the 1960s. But in the year 2008, I received a prophetic word from a man that I trust. And through that man, Jesus said to me in a prophetic word that a storm was coming and that I was not to stray more than an arm's length from Jesus. Now, I believe we've been in a storm for a while, but I believe that storm is going to intensify just like that blizzard did and intensify into something like a whiteout blizzard. The Bible says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Proverbs chapter one. Now, what is waywardness and complacency? Well, waywardness wanders off from the Lord and creates a gap between you and the Lord. But complacency is different. It stands still when the Lord moves on. But both of those create a gap between a person and God. All right, waywardness wanders off. Complacency stands still while the Lord moves on. And both result in something really bad like destruction. So are you living just close enough to the Lord in your estimation? Extra close would be close enough to hold the Lord's hand, so to speak. The Holy Spirit does warn us of what's coming. There are many prophetic words of of things that are coming to America. But you see, even if we knew every piece of the prophetic puzzle, that knowledge would not get us through the storm. The point of letting us know the coming fury of a storm is to motivate us to move extra close to the Lord so that we're holding his hand by faith. Now, just as my dad led me safely through, Uh, through the whiteout blizzard, the Lord Jesus will lead us all the way safely home to eternal glory if we'll move in close to him and stay extra close. My third point is we need to get extra bullets in our faith guns. Now, I have a whole sermon. I want to make this into a little booklet. I have 21 illustrations, and it's one of my revival seminar sermons. But I explained that a rifle is an instrument that can hold a bullet in its chamber and release the explosive power that's in the bullet. And likewise, you are a faith gun and God's words are like bullets because they have the explosive power of faith in them. But uh, the word has to get from your head down into your heart, just like the bullet has to be put in the chamber of a gun. The only place it can release its power is in the chamber of a gun. Well, the only place the Word of God releases its explosive power of faith is in the human heart. 
And so we have to meditate on the Word of God and, and love it, and then God will help it slip from our head down into our spirit, down into our heart, and we'll be loaded with the faith. Then we still have to release that faith. But the point is, we need to get loaded <laughs> with the Word of God. Now, if a pioneer was going to run into two bears at once, he'd want to have more than one bullet in his rifle. Now, more than one problem is going to come at us. You know, simultaneously, there are going to be multiple problems. And the Holy Spirit is warning us of coming food shortages fuel shortages, supply chain breakdowns because of trucking disruptions, politically motivated violence, hyperinflation, even the destruction of the U.S. dollar. And uh, however, you see, all such warnings are worthless unless we become motivated to load our hearts with extra promises. How much faith will we need to get through the coming perfect storm? Well, you never know. You never know how much is enough. So the point is, you get extra verses in your heart. You just keep adding and you keep meditating on the word. You, you get more and more faith. You have the extra mentality. I have a good habit of going to bed early and then getting up early. And in the quiet of the morning, I have a cup of coffee and read the Bible generally for at least an hour. I like to have a bookmark so I can carefully underline verses with it. I make notes all over the place in the Bible. My point is I like to wear Bibles out. Uh, it doesn't do any good to treat the Bible just, you know, perfectly so it lasts hundreds of years. I'd rather wear Bibles out and get the Bible on the inside of me. Really, all that counts is how much Bible you get on the inside. Well, I meditate on God's Word until it goes from my head down into my heart. And I believe if we're prideful, then the Lord resists the proud. He won't help that happen. But the Bible says he gives grace to the humble. And when we humble ourselves before the word, we want to obey it. We, we want to understand God so we can please him. When we have a humble attitude and we read and meditate on the word, then God, by his grace, will help it go down in from our heads down into our hearts. Now, one morning I was meditating on the word and I found Psalm 77:19 that says your way was through the sea your path through the great waters yet your footprints were unseen now that's talking about the Lord leading Israel through the Red Sea when Moses uh, was told to stretch out your rod and but it was God that parted the sea and the whole nation of Israel you know walked through the sea with the water stacked up on either side. But when Pharaoh's army pursued them, uh, the Lord let the waters come back together and the whole army of Pharaoh was drowned. Now this Bible says your way was through the sea. And as I meditated on that, I felt it go down into my heart. God could have made an easier way. He could have taken them around. He didn't have to take them through the great waters, but he did it on purpose. He led them in a way that was impossible for them to get out of their jam and their own wisdom and their own strength. And the only way they could get out of their jam was to follow the Lord. He, you know, now, uh, he wanted to reveal his names to them. And this allowed them to really get to know God. Now, when I say he wanted them to know his names, he wanted them to know his name 
as the deliverer, as the protector, as the shepherd, as the God who's more than enough, as the Lord our banner, victory over our enemies, and, and on and on. But you see, he doesn't want us just to have an academic knowledge of his names. He, want us, he wants us to know experientially uh, and to experience his, his names. So God thought that uh, having Pharaoh on one side and the Red Sea on the other was just perfect, an opportunity to reveal his name. Now in John 17, verse 26, I've read this verse hundreds of times, but one morning it went down into my heart. And Jesus said, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, when Jesus was healing everybody, remember one of the Lord's names is the Lord our healer. And Jesus certainly made that name known uh, experientially. And so he said, I have made your, them, uh, I have made known to them your name. But then he says, I'll continue to make it known. And that I felt go down, you know, when I was a kid one time, my mom gave me an ice cube to suck on. She would usually uh, put Kool-Aid in an ice cube tray and put a little toothpick in it and make a homemade popsicle. So one summer day, I wanted a, one of those homemade popsicles. She didn't have any Kool-Aid, so she just gave me an ice, ice cube. And as I sucked on it, it slipped and went down my throat and went kerthunk. <laughs> I swallowed that great big ice cube, even though I was only about five years old. Well, that's kind of like it is when you meditate on the word, you suck the juice out of it, you're thinking about it, you're enjoying it, and then suddenly it just it just goes down into your spirit and you know you're loaded. Well, in the same way, uh, you know, these two verses, your way was through the sea. God's God likes to go right through the roughest time where we have to follow him to get through it. See, but then he gets to reveal his name to us. Now, he's not just going to be content that he revealed his name when Jesus was on earth. Jesus said, I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Imagine that, infinite love in us and Jesus inside of us. Well, aren't those great verses to think about and to just praise God that no matter how desperate the storm Jesus is going to make his name known to you, the Lord our shepherd, the Lord our healer, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord our banner, uh, on and on go the names of God. Well, that's, see, now how, how are we going to get through what is coming? Well, Jesus is going to reveal the Father's name to us experientially. So do you think you have enough faith? Do you think you know enough of the Bible? See, I don't. Now, I've been reading the Bible. I'm 72. I've been reading the Bible every day since I was 12. That's 60 years. I've listened to the Bible on CD or uh, through my cell phone literally hundreds, hundreds of times. But I don't have the attitude that I have enough I always want extra because as I as I keep humbling myself before the word, he keeps helping more of it go down inside of me, in my heart. So I want to take extra attitude when it comes to the word of God. I want extra bullets in my faith gun. I might run into more bear of a problem, you know, several at once. So I want to be really loaded with extra verses. And that's going to help us if we have that attitude. 
My fourth point is God is doing, I believe, two major things. And the first is that he's lifting up the church and cutting off its worldly roots. Uh, If all things were peaceful and perfect, then we can become rooted in this life, in this world, and we can be satisfied with the securities that aren't real securities, riches that aren't really riches, and life that isn't the abundant life Jesus has for us. Annie Scheisler's visions, uh, she was, you know, a lady that was an actress in Argentina. When she got saved, they, uh, she was delivered of several demons. Anyway, she got filled with the Spirit, and she'd seek God four or five hours a, a day, and and the Lord would catch her up in the Spirit and show her things. And so she, there's a book, actually four books in one, called uh, I Saw the Lord, I've read and reread that. It's such a rich source of uh, of revelation, all the things the Lord showed her. Well, she wrote that book, you know, she had the visions way back in the 1970s. But here's one on uh, page 55 of book two that I think is very significant. And she, she writes, when he opened my eyes to, uh, to see, I saw far below upon the earth a mighty stone that was larger than a great mountain. The stone did not appear to have any evidence of life, light, or beauty in it. Then he, that means Jesus, took the stone, lifted it up, and cut it off from its roots. I was amazed to see a great stone like that with roots, for I thought that only trees and other growing things had roots. But this stone had great roots reaching far down in some kind of a base or foundation. He first uprooted it and then cut off all of its roots and removed it from its base. Then he proceeded to set it upon a new base. This time he set it upon himself as a foundation. Just as soon as he became the foundation of that great stone, life, light, and glory rushed up into it, making it a glorious stone full of life and beauty. When he spoke, he told me that he was going to do this very same thing unto his own. End of quote. Now, the church on earth, you know, I believe is that great stone that she saw in the vision, bigger than a mountain, but I believe the church is pretty much rooted in this world and not full of life and glory. But in the coming times, I know that there's some glory, some light, some life, you know, in certain parts of the church. In the, for the most part, the church is in desperate need of revival. Well, the church on earth has been pretty much rooted in this world and thus not full of God's life and glory. And in the coming times of worldwide turmoil, I believe Jesus is going to cut off the church's worldly roots, all the things they depend on in this world and love in this world and are content just to live happily in this world. And that's going to be cut off. But he's going to then set us not on a on a foundation of worldly roots, but on himself, and then glorious life and light and power is going to flood into the church. Well, 
the second thing, that's really the second thing God is going to do. First, cut off the roots. Secondly, put the church on a new foundation. But but, uh, let me say it another way. God is bringing forth an end-time manifestation of his holiness, purity, power, and glory, and manifesting that in his chosen ones. Now, I don't know... You know, I don't. I can't tell you everything about that. It's just that God is going to have some type of an end-time manifestation of his holiness, purity, power, and glory and manifest it in his own ones. So in book three, page 13 of, uh, of I Saw the Lord, Annie writes, As I entered into his presence, he showed me something so impressive and frightening that I feared greatly. Although he specifically told me not to fear, even so I could not feel completely at ease, for in almost unbearable pain and in great love, he tore open, as it were, his own spiritual form or body. Even though he had told me to look at it, I feared and I wanted to hide my eyes. For after this great tearing open of himself, I could see within. And there I beheld something so terribly perfect in its holiness that even the word perfection seemed to sully it in my memory. This living something was very much a part of himself, yet it seems as though he were bringing forth in a tremendous beginning a new being from his own person. It was the same beginning in God that he had showed me several days before. For long eons, he has waited to manifest this most holy thing which he is about to bring forth. I'm still quoting her, the the tremendous, radiant perfection, the holy glory of this beginning that he showed me was so far beyond expression and so filled with holiness and God life that I felt greatly perturbed and trembled, even though he told me over and over again not to fear. It was something too high, holy, and perfect to look upon. When he said, the hour has now come, It seemed that he was about to explode, not in an explosion of terrible destructive violence, but rather a pacific explosion. Then he came forth, as it were, in this explosion, and it was tremendously sweet. From this sweet, explosive breaking forth, he extended himself over all. That is to say, he desired to manifest himself, pouring this forth upon those of his own who were waiting upon him. To me it seemed so imminent that it appeared to be right now, yet I know it was not at this moment in our time, which was back in the 1970s. Whenever he broke forth in this manifestation, it began to extend, and the wonderful glory and ineffable sweetness of that perfect thing that he was bringing forth made such an impact upon my being that it greatly troubled me because I could in no way understand the vision." End of quote. Now, on, on uh, page 16 of book three, she writes, uh, under the coming persecution, Today he showed me strange, strong pains and sufferings that shall accompany the holy thing that he is bringing forth, as it were, out of his own being. The tremendous storm of pain and suffering accompanying this coming manifestation shall break forth simultaneously with it and shall be provoked by that holy new beginning, the manifestation that he is going to bring forth and place in his chosen ones. 
In this place of great pain, I sensed terrible sufferings, martyrdoms, and all kinds of persecutions. Although I could not see them, I felt their terrible pain. At the same time, I was held in a place of complete peace, sweetness, and tranquility. The thought occurred to me that it was almost a deceitful thing which he was about to give his own ones that all all that was so it was so high and holy nevertheless it would bring forth strong provocations terrible reactions and much suffering pain and persecution the chosen ones who receive this holy thing from him shall also receive the pain and suffering provoked by it for that holy thing shall be tremendously shocking to those who are in opposition to God. Now, on page 17 and 18 of book three, she writes, this great storm of hate and fury with its pain and bloodshed is timed to break forth at the very same time that this high and holy thing that he's bringing forth out of himself shall be manifested on the earth. The two things are forming in the invisible world at the same time and at the same time place. The storm of persecution and hatred shall break forth simultaneously with the coming light of this holy thing that he's bringing forth, which shall be manifested upon the earth in those whom he has chosen exclusively for himself and in whom he shall come forth in this new beginning, unquote. Well, I think when I think of that, I remember Stephen, one of the deacons in the early church, uh, was doing great signs and wonders and so much of God was being released through him that they arrested him and accused him and the Bible says his face was glowing like an angel. So he preached to them and ended his sermon with a tremendous rebuke that if they had repented it would have brought life to them but instead uh, they just uh, rushed on him and then he looked up and saw heaven opened and saw Jesus at the right hand of God and he said, look, I see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. So they rushed on him with their ears covered, grinding their teeth, grabbed him, stoned him to death. In other words, he was uh, he was in a almost a different category or league or something. He was like a forerunner of this great end time revival and massive revelation that God's going to bring forth in 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 the end time in the body of Christ he was like a forerunner of it and you see the tremendous reaction against it but my point in all this is to say that when the world looks like it's getting more wicked and more wicked it's it's because it's reacting to more and more of the release of God in the spirit to his own and you know, the Bible says the path of the just grows brighter and brighter until the full dawn of day. So instead of getting alarmed that the world's getting so crazy and so demonic and so just just totally weird, uh, I'm believing that God is beginning to release, you know, the great end-time harvest revival beyond anything we've ever even been able to imagine. And sure, it'll bring persecution, but those who are who are in that will be like Stephen. I mean, he he just saw the Lord and and just left this earth in a blaze of glory. Well, Annie's visions about that were fifty years ago, which 
I, I believe we're much closer to that now, maybe even entering into it. And God is not reacting to the wicked world. The wicked world is reacting to what God is releasing. And the mindset of take extra oil for your lamp will help us let go of this world. We won't be trying to keep our old securities. We'll be focused on readiness for the Lord's coming. Instead of lamenting the loss of earthly roots, we'll quickly be rooted into God himself so that his light, life, and glory will surge up into us and out of us. The mindset of take extra oil for your lamp is our desire to not miss out on what God is doing. We should desire his light, life, and glory to be fully manifested in us, even though it will so shock the world that the unrepentant will hate us. The Apostle Paul wrote, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians chapter 3. My fifth point is that the take extra mindset manifests in at least seven areas, maybe many more than seven, but I'll give you seven. First of all, the pilgrim mindset. We need to see ourselves as pilgrims in this world, merely passing through it to get to it. We get through this world to get to the heavenly city and the eternal glory with God. And if we're going to it, we can get through it, whatever comes. In Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame for faith, the faith hall of fame, uh, it is said that the people of great faith, quote, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, Hebrews eleven thirteen, And then Peter wrote, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, 1 Peter 2, 11. Well, pilgrims travel light. You know, the pioneers that came across the prairies and the covered wagons, they had to leave behind uh, a lot of heavy furniture and stuff. And only the foolish tried to bring all the heavy stuff with them. And then their oxen and whoever, horses or what was pulling their covered wagons would just wear out. Eventually, they'd have to jettison those heavy treasures in order to keep moving forward. And so the pilgrim leaves behind extra things that others try to hang on to. And we need that mindset. Secondly, the champion athlete mindset. Paul wrote, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. That means in our walk with God, we aren't trying to do just enough. See, Olympic athletes that win the gold medals always make a little more effort than anybody else in their training and in their focus and in their conditioning. And it's that little bit extra. They do so much, but they do a little bit extra. And that makes a difference between winning first place or second place. And many times the difference between first and second is only a fraction of a second. But that little extra. See, and and God wants us to have that mindset. We want to run with extra effort for God. 
Thirdly, the obedient son mindset. Now, the Bible says he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son, Proverbs 10.5. And we need a desire to get the whole harvest in by doing our part. We all have a part. And there's no use wishing that you had a part that somebody else has. Just do your part. Now, we had a saying in South Dakota growing up on a ranch, make hay while the sun shines. That's that's a good proverb. Not in the Bible, but it is in so many words in the Bible. Now, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no one can work, John 9, 4. So we've got to avoid thinking, I've done enough to get the harvest in. Look, folks, if the harvest isn't complete and you're still alive on earth, then there's more for you to do. And you want to, inv- you want to really avoid the, I've done enough. No, you want to do extra. Pass out some more tracks. Sponsor another Teen Challenge Center. Give some of my books to a prison. Uh, whatever the Lord leads you to do. But do more. Do extra. Desire to win more to Christ and pray that God will give you more souls. Number four would be the loyal soldier's mindset. Paul wrote, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a soldier, 2 Timothy 2.4. So we need to desire to win another battle, an extra battle. Don't think, I've won enough battles. I just want to go home, be with Jesus. Well, I want to go home, be with Jesus, but I want to win another battle. And I think we should have that attitude. I want to win an extra battle for God's glory. And then number five, the just like Jesus mindset. And Paul wrote, or Peter wrote rather, make every effort to add to your faith. Now notice, make every effort, make extra effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 8. So don't think, well, I'm virtual enough. I mean, I'm virtuous enough. I'm a, I'm a good person. That's So many people think that way. I'm a pretty good person. Well, get that extra mentality where you say, well, I've got some virtues fleshed out in my life, but I want I want them to be even bigger. I've got some love. I want more love. I w- I've got some faith. I want more faith. I've got some gentleness. I want a lot of gentleness. And then I want some virtues I might not even be aware of. I've listed about 119 different virtues that I've defined. And, uh, and I keep watching out for new ones. And I, I just want an extra mentality Make every effort to add to your faith these virtues. Number six is the intercessor's mindset. Now, Paul wrote, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Ephesians 6.18 Desire to get more answers to prayer. You've had some great answers to prayer, but desire some extra answers. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
John 15, 7 and 8. So make a new prayer list. Add some extra people. See, the extra, take extra oil, apply it in this area. Add some extra people to the ones you pray for. Add some extra requests. Believe for extra results. Answered prayers bring glory to God. And then number seven, the worshiper's mindset. Now, the, the worshiper, the lover of God, doesn't think, oh, that's enough time with God. I did what was obligatory. I did my little daily devotion. I'll check it off. See, some people, they have a little devotional thing, and I'm not against Bible devotional books, but some people just read a little bit and have five minutes and they just kind of check it off and say, that's enough. Uh, but we want to be a worshiper. We're, we're not considering that uh, doing our devotions is something that's an obligation that we've got to get done and then check it off. It's rather a treat, and we're looking for ways to spend extra time seeking God. We have that take extra mindset. Isaiah wrote, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, that's a promise in Isaiah 40, and it and remember, it says, they that wait upon the Lord. See, those are people that want to spend a little extra time with God. They're not just trying to spend enough. They want extra. Now, my sixth major point in this message is safety from judgment is a place in the spirit reserved for those with the take extra oil mindset. In Psalms 91, it says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91. The more we love God and the more his spirit is manifested in our lives, the more those who hate God will hate us. We will suffer persecution, the wrath of man, but we'll be delivered from the wrath of God. And however many ways God judges the wicked world, we'll be hidden in God and marked for deliverance. Now, for the wicked, there isn't any safe place. There's, there's no safe place on earth if God marks you for judgment. Amos, the prophet Amos wrote, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Amos chapter 5. In other words, inescapable judgment. And God emphasized this truth again through Amos. In the ninth chapter, he said, if they hide themselves on top of Mount Carmel, from there I'll search them out and take them. Or if they hide themselves from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. <laughs> And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Now, God is saying that about people who refuse to repent, who don't want God. And uh, so if God decides to bring judgment on them, it will be inescapable. 
And here's my point. We should seek God earnestly for his direction, but we should not rely on our own wisdom to escape to some safe area. See, we might think, well, Oregon's a sinful place. I bet God's going to bring judgment on it. Maybe I better move to, well, how would you know where God wants you to move if you don't seek him? Jesus said, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Luke 21, 36. God will give strength and direction to his devoted lovers, and he will help them escape all the things that are going to take place. But for the wicked, there is no safe place to escape. Our safety really isn't in a place, it's in a person. It's in a place in the spirit where we abide with Christ. So rather than thinking, where should I run off to be safe? We should run into God and, and abide in him. Then if he wants to tell us to go somewhere else to uh, protect our family, like he told Joseph to go to Egypt because Herod was going to try to kill baby Jesus, you know, he can give us that direction. It's just don't seek a safe place and make that your idol. Seek God as your safe place and that'll work out. Now, here's my last point, my seventh point of this sermon. There's no time to lose. You better buy your extra oil now. In Christ's parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish ones asked to borrow some oil from the five wise, but they were denied. You see, we all have to get our, our own extra oil, so to speak. We can't borrow somebody else's spirituality, no matter how much they have. So many people think, yeah, it's a good idea to start reading the Bible and storing up scriptures on faith. I'll do that someday. Uh, someday I'll take time to get alone with the Lord and pray. Someday I'll start working in the Lord's harvest field. Well, folks, spiritual procrastination is very dangerous. We need to get our extra oil or extra time with God, or extra Bible verses. Uh, get it today, now, today. Paul wrote, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I'm assuming Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's Hebrews 4, 7. So what can you do today to imitate the wise virgins who took extra oil for their lamps and thus were ready for the bridegroom. Remember, Jesus said, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he'll answer, I don't know you or where you come from. That's Luke chapter 13 verse 24 and 25. The point is there's a time where God's grace is extended to us and that time runs out and we can sin away our day of grace. We could be locked out, you know, and, and lose our souls. So I remember when I was 13 and the Lord, and I was in a meeting where a man invited people to receive Christ as Savior. The Lord gave me so much faith. I knew that I was supposed to pray in my heart, God, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And then the preacher said, stand up in front of all these people as a, 
as a sign that you have just received Christ. And I absolutely knew that if I did that, I would be born again by the Spirit, which I had been praying for for a long time. But uh, I, I was hesitating, and a voice seemed to say, you'll embarrass yourself, you can always do it later. But the Holy Spirit was telling me, you may never feel this way again. You may never have another chance. And I listened to the Holy Spirit and received Christ. So, friend, the point is, seek God today. Make spiritual decisions today that move you close to the Lord. And get extra close. Get extra Bible. Get extra time with God. Make an extra effort. Work extra hard in the harvest field. Because what a terrible thing. Now, to be locked out of the Lord's presence from eternity would be horrible. So there's a time God gives people to accept Jesus. And we cannot assume that accepting Christ is something we can do tomorrow or later. Because we just can't assume that. Our life could end and then nobody in hell can get saved. Nobody in hell can ask Jesus to come into their hearts. The door is locked. But also, if people keep neglecting their calling, see, God gives us time to enter into the fullness of our personal calling, and some people keep neglecting that, and then they end up being locked in some lesser place of spiritual development and never do fulfill their full calling. They may go to heaven, but never reach their full development in God because they delayed, they procrastinated. Now, remember that Jesus said, but while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. The Apostle Paul wrote, not the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John wrote in Revelations, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Remember the line, the bride has made herself ready. Let's make sure that when Jesus comes, we'll be numbered with those who made themselves ready. Go over this message again and adopt the take extra mindset of the wise. Don't try to serve God with just enough. Because if you have the take extra mindset of the wise, you will be ready for the coming of Christ You'll also be strengthened, empowered, and given divine guidance to get through 2022 <laughs> and whatever comes, whatever comes after that. You see, because we'll be able to get through it because we're going to it. We'll keep our eyes on Jesus, be headed towards eternal glory, and we'll serve him not just enough, but with extra Meditate on this, and the Lord will make it more and more real to you. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com.
Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426. 